But look, Christianity is totally different than any other religion. To be martyred is to stand up and witness to the truth of Christ and to be killed for it. It's not to kill, but to be killed. It's not to shed blood, but to have your blood shed. And this is precisely what Christianity does. In fact, Christianity gives us God in the shedding of Jesus' blood. Far from being violent and acting out and bringing the sword against those who do not believe in it, Christianity has the sword brought against it. It has the nails and the hammer and the cross brought to it. I mean, that's where we find our salvation and our hope and our life and our forgiveness in the shed and blood and suffering and death of Jesus. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called table talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and His promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. Welcome to Table Talk Radio. I'm your host, Evan Gigline, with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Hello, Evan. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Well, I'm pretty grouchy, to be honest. What's troubling you today, Evan? <laughs> well, gas prices. What do you do about these gas prices? I was going to get a little moped. <laughs> I tried to ride the church, uh, my bike to church the other day, and it was fine. It took me... Uh, it took me 20 minutes to get to church, but it took me about an hour and a half to get home just because I was so sore I couldn't sit down on the seat. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm not going to do what this guy did. I found a little article that said, A man attempted to siphon gasoline from a motorhome parked in a Seattle street. He got much more than he bargained for. Police arrived at the scene to find an ill man curled up next to the motorhome near spilled sewage. Police uh, spokesman said that the man admitted trying to steal gasoline and plugged his hose into the motorhome sewage tank by mistake. The the owner of the motor vehicle declined to press charges, saying that it was the best laugh he had ever had. This doesn't taste like gas. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) Okay, well... Uh, today we're playing uh, Law and or Gospel. We've played this before. This is my That's my favorite game that we play on Table Talk Radio. Of course it is. Do you have any games that aren't your favorite? Not a one. <laughs> well, then uh, right after that we're playing a new game called Google It. Uh, this is a little fun little game where you type in a search term and uh, find out uh, what the Internet has to say about what we're uh, searching for. Uh, then after that we're playing uh, Who Wants to Be a... Th- or No, we're playing uh, Name That Theologian. Name That Theologian. And uh, I've got some good ones for you, Pastor Wolfmiller. I think I can stump you today. I'm excited. <laughs> the final segment of, of Table Talk Radio, we're talking about an article uh, found in the Denver Post. What was the title of that article? Religious Americans, My Faith Isn't the Only Way. Yeah, uh, that'll make for a good conversation on the last section of Table Talk Radio. Well, uh, starting off then, uh, sh- sh- uh, would you like to go first or shall I on law and or gospel? Well, why don't you explain the rules first and then I'll give you the first question. Right. Okay. So the, uh, this is how the game works. Um, we are going to read a, a verse or a, a quotation from someone, and we're going to determine whether that's law or gospel. And how we do that is we establish uh, the law is, is something that uh, it tells us to do something. The law, uh, it, it commands us to do something. Uh, and it always shows us our condemnation. It, it never shows us our righteousness because there is no righteousness in the law of our works 
uh, rather shows that we, we always fail to meet uh, what God expects of us. Uh, the gospel, then, is uh, what Christ gives us um, by his work and his perfect life and uh, death on the cross and resurrection. And by that, we receive our righteousness. And so if, if this passage is giving us, uh, talking about us giving life or e- eternal salvation, uh, those are all things given to us by, by Christ out of his work. And so those are pure gospel. Right. So uh, go ahead, Pastor Wolf Miller. I'm ready. Okay. And this is, and those of you listening, you, the idea here is you play along and, and guess as well. We all, in fact, when we read the scripture, we always want to be doing this, taking a look at the scriptures and seeing if it's condemning us or, or, or forgiving us. Okay. First text for you, Evan, uh, from the from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five verses twenty one and twenty two. Jesus says these words: You have heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not murder." And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable of hellfire. Yes, uh, this is law because uh, I'm guilty of all of those things. Um, I I don't keep this commandment. And and in in those words, I find no uh, comfort. I find no uh, life. From, from God, it only shows me uh, the terrible, the terrible sinner that I am, and so that 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 passage you read is is definitely law. That's right, it is. Uh, in fact, this is the pr- premier example of Jesus taking into his own hands the the spiritual nature of the law and and pushing it all the way to uh, so that it's not just the outward keeping. It's not just that I've never stabbed anyone in the back, but the fact that I think of my brother as a fool means that I've broken the law against them. So Jesus doesn't let anyone get out from under the law and from under the condemnation of it. So, Evan, that's very good. Um, Your answer will get you ten commandments. Ten commandments? So you have ten commandments. I'm taking keeping score I wanted points, not commandments. Well, uh, each commandment is worth uh, one point, so ten points. (laughs) Well, my next one uh, for you then. You know, some people ask me what my, my favorite verse is in the Bible, and I have a hard time picking a favorite verse. I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of weird like that, I guess. Um, but if I'm allowed to pick a favorite passage, I think this would be it. And it comes from Revelation chapter 7. A little lengthy, but I think it's worth it. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits to the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell their they fell on their faces and before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. All right, so is that law or gospel? What a fantastic passage. It's really wonderful this picture and we should talk about the book of revelation sometimes uh the way it moves from the terrible uh presentation of the things going on in this world to the beauty of the worship of the lamb in heaven and perhaps the key uh the key portion of that passage that you read there is this idea that they came that these are the ones that came out of the great tribulation and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb i mean anyone knows that if you dip uh, a white piece of cloth in a, 
uh, in a vat of blood that it's not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna bleach it it's not gonna make it white but this is different this is Jesus blood which takes away all the sin of the world like John preached behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so these these saints have been made righteous by the death of Jesus so this verse gives us the most wonderful comfort the forgiveness of all of our sins uh, this text then is uh, is the purest gospel. Very good. You get two points for that. I thought you were going to give me thousands upon thousands and innumerable points because the text had that many angels in it. <laughs> That's true. Uh, tell you, what, I'll give you nine points. How many points do I have? <laughs> Ten. Oh, what do you know? All right. Oh, brother. Do do points carry over from one game to another? We could do it that way. All right. I'm not worried then. Ha! <laughs> All right. You ready for your second one? I'm ready. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Ah, yes, uh... And here it's talking about uh, what 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 gifts we receive in in our baptism, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful passage, and it, it is pure gospel that uh, we we receive all these things. Uh, we are we are joined into uh, uh, the death of Christ, so that we may be raised with Christ on on the last day. So that that is uh, a true gospel. There, that's right, Evan. Gospel it is. Um... I gotta try to sort out how many points you get for this. You um, uh, but keep this text in mind. All those who are listening out there, uh, remember this text because in our next game, Google it. This uh, this will come up. I'm going to give you uh, three points: uh, one for uh, the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. The name that we receive in baptism, bringing your total to thirteen. All right. Well, I'm afraid we're short on time, so we only have time for one more. Um. I thought I wasn't going to have another chance. I'll I'll give you a chance for uh, a bonus point here. And uh, this is a quotation from someone, a a modern-day pastor. And if you guess who it is, then I'll give you an extra bonus point. Then you have to say whether it's law or gospel. All right. You ready? Ready. Choosing, Choosing to be positive and having a grateful attitude is going to determine how you're going to live your life. Oh, boy. All right, this sounds just like uh, Joel Olstein. You got it. <laughs> Isn't that something? Would that be law or gospel? Law. Read it again, okay, please. Sure. It says, choosing to be positive and having a grateful attitude is going to determine how you're going to live your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, this. so it's, is it what Jesus has done for me or is it what I am doing uh, for God? Or even see the Olstein idolatry business is I'm not doing it for God. I'm doing it for myself. Uh, but still, it's me doing it, which makes which makes it law. And there is something very anti-human about this whole business, is that I'm supposed to kind of go along in some sort of smiley, plastic life, and that God rewards me for that. Rather, let's have Jesus and him crucified. Let's have his forgiveness. Let's have his blood washing away our sin. Uh, and then we can escape this uh, coerciveness and the, and the curse of the law. Very good. Well, we are all out of time. Uh, so you get three points for getting it right and one extra bonus point for naming 
Joel Osteen as the... It's a tie. Oh, we tied. Okay, well, we have a lot uh, a lot more fun on Table Talk Radio after this. Next up, we're playing Google It here on Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back. First, I want to tell you about our website, tabletalkradio.org. There's a lot of uh, great things you can find on that website, including some great articles by Pastor Wolf Miller. That's good. Uh, tabletalkradio.org is, by the way, my favorite website in the entire Internet. <laughs> Do you think you're a little biased on your favorites? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> uh, also, uh, I want to tell you about our phone line. If you have any like questions or comments you want to, us to address... Uh, we usually have a segment uh, every once in a while that we, we just kind of listen into our answering machine and, and hear what people are asking or saying. And so uh, you can do that uh, by calling 866-851-5523. It's a great way to get a hold of us, and uh, we love uh, hearing from our listeners too. Hey, we're playing a new game, Google It. Uh, how this works is uh, we think of a search term, uh, and we, we type it into Google, and we see the top results that we get, and we discuss uh, what theologies are, are being taught uh, at these websites that we're searching for these terms. And so uh, Pastor Wolfman and I have, have two different terms each. And uh, uh, I, I have one that I want to do real quick. It's not real serious. Uh, my, other, my other one's more serious. But just for the, just for the fun of it, uh, I typed in, into Google the, the name Wolfmiller. Oh, man. Have you done this before? Uh, yes. Do you know what the <laughs> first result is? Yeah, it's my aunt and uncle's bookstore in Kerrville, yeah, Texas. Yeah, well... WolfMillersBooks.com. Yeah. And so I called them, and they were like, uh, yeah, we know Brian. And I said, what are his favorite books? And, and, and they gave me – they had like a list right there because I guess people call and ask a lot. And his, his top three are The Secret Power of Speaking God's Word by Joyce Meyer, Your Best Life Now by Joel Osteen. Oh, my favorite. And The Idiot's Guide to Lutheranism by John Pless. <laughs> Oh man, I can't wait till that book comes out. That'll be fantastic. <laughs> I, I wanted uh, my fourth favorite book is How to Hypnotize People from the Pulpit, but uh, I haven't gotten all the way through it yet. <laughs> fall, you, you fall asleep. I, when yeah, that's it? that's as far, well. That's as far as it gets. People fall asleep when they're listening. I haven't oh. I haven't gotten past that yet. So <laughs> okay, well, why don't you go first then? Uh, I I had uh, two terms. Um, uh, the first one was baptism. Uh, and and in in the three and a half uh, minutes of show prep, you know that we put that I put into this, we was able to come up with a list of uh, of, um, uh, of websites regarding baptism. Here, of course, Wikipedia always comes as the first one. The Catholic Encyclopedia is the second entry. Uh, then, how about this? Uh, right up towards the top is the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Yeah, uh, and their and their page on baptism and the question and answers, and that's pretty good stuff. Uh, you can find that on lcms.org. Uh, but but here's one. There's there's two websites that I thought were interesting. One uh, name of a website was Be Baptized, uh, and it goes over uh, all the scripture texts on baptism. I couldn't quite sort out their doctrine. Uh, they weren't really out with it. But then the next one is this page. The subtitle is Get Wet. Uh, and and so it talks about why should I get wet and what does the Bible say about it and discusses baptism. And in looking in this, I found a very interesting 
paragraph. I want to read this to you, Evan, and see what you think. Here's the question. Uh, Does a person's age make a difference? Answer. A natural question would be, does your age make a difference? More specifically, you may ask whether infants or young children should be baptized. It may help if you understand where the idea and practice of baptizing infants came from. Now, you ready for this? I'm ready. Around 400 A.D., a man named Augustine came up with the idea of, quote, original sin. (laughs) Are you kidding? No, that's what it says. This basically said that everyone inherits the sin of Adam at birth and there is and therefore separated from God from the beginning of their life. Of course, this caused parents to become concerned over the fate of their children should they die before, <laughs> quote, getting right with God. Since only one of the four steps required to get right with God could be done by or to an infant, they decided to baptize them and, quote, take care of original sin. Since it's risky to immerse an infant, these people decided to sprinkle them with water instead. Thus, both baptizing infants and baptizing by sprinkling came from human ideas. They did not come from the Bible. What do you think uh, about that? Well, um, I guess I'd be more concerned. Of, uh, oh, man, there's a lot to be concerned about. One of the things that initially comes to my mind is, is their denial of original sin. And if then if we're not originally sinful, if we're not uh, naturally by birth separated from God, then uh, there, there's no need uh, for God to save us. Well, that's right. If it's, uh, and we talked about this in our last show, if sin is simply an inclination or something like this, then, uh, uh, then that means it's up to us to just avoid it or to do something else, uh, to try harder and not, and not sin. Uh, so if, if you don't have original sin and the sickness of our human nature, then, um, uh, th- then really only Jesus just is not our Savior. He's our helper. He's our guide, our teacher, this sort of thing. And, and, it, and it's, up, it's up to what you do. Now, there's something here because I have, I have always maintained that the denial of infant baptism is a denial of original sin. But it's, it's actually hard to get people to admit that. Uh, but here, here it is. They're admitting it. They're, you don't baptize infants because they don't have original sin. In fact, God does not hold them guilty in, until they come to the, quote, age of accountability which if you want a man-made theology, a man-made doctrine, it's the age of accountability. It's nowhere in the scriptures. But until you come to that age of accountability, then you're completely uh, guiltless before God and you get to heaven even apart from the death of Christ. It's craziness. So if, then let me ask you, if original sin didn't come from Augustine, where did it come from uh, in the scriptures? Well, you, you find it all over. Of course, you find it first uh, in the Garden of Eden with the temptation and the fall of Adam and Eve. And then uh, Paul says it like this, talking, uh, you know, giving us comment on the, on the fall into sin. Paul says, through, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and or death entered the world uh, and death through sin and all this sort of stuff. This, uh, this is there in Romans 4 and 5. Uh, and so all die because all have sinned. So that it's through one man that the door is opened for sin and death to come along. So then David can say something like this, Psalm 51. Uh, I was uh, born in sin and conceived in iniquity. Which means that from, our, from the very moment of conception we have in- inherited a sin and guilt from Adam. Uh, it's the reason why we die. Uh, so, the, so the scriptures teach, and really you find it all over, that, that mankind is sunk in sin and therefore needs Jesus to lift us up out of sin and death, which is exactly what he does. Well, uh, that, that kind of uh, segues into the search term I did. I, I just searched simply for the, the word Jesus, and uh, the second result that uh, was there was uh, a page from the uh, website for Campus Crusade for Christ International, a pretty popular um, 
organization, I guess you could say. Um, and and, and it's the, the page was how to know God personally. And it has these uh, four principles. I think uh, those who are familiar with Campus Crusade for Christ would know them as the four spiritual laws. Is that right, Pastor Wolf? Yeah. I, what, did you know I used to be in Campus Crusade? I would Is go out right? on campus uh, sharing the laws and giving religious surveys, and I went to a number of their uh, Christmas rallies my, myself. Good. So you'll be able to help us with these, uh, these these four principles. The first one is God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. I, I don't have a huge problem uh, with the first one other than I guess I, I, I would question how people are taking uh, the wonderful plan for your life. Sometimes we, we take this to mean uh, that I'm going to have a, you know uh, a four-car garage house and and it Cadillacs to fill the garage, and and this is the the abundant life that that Jesus is talking about. Uh, when in actuality, the the abundant life that he's talking about is a life uh, in Him. That because we have Christ, we we are we have uh, the full abundance of the gospel, and um and and we have that that comfort throughout our life. No, I think you're right. And the second thing is that it uh, when you have the first spiritual law about the love of God, and it's not until the third spiritual law that you have the death of Jesus, then you you might have those separated from one another. Uh, oh, so yeah, we, we always want to see the love of God in the death of Jesus. But that's a minor point. I think you're right. It's not that bad, at least this first uh, law. So the second one is uh, all of us sin, and our sin has separated us from God. Uh, I think that's accurate. Is there, do you have any... Uh... Any issue, issues with that one? Nope, it's true. All right, the third one then. Uh, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for our sin. Through him we can know and experience God's love and plan for our life. What do you have on that one? Well, what do you think? Tell me, I have one thing to say about it, but uh, I want to, I'm interested to hear your take on this, Evan. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess I would just word it differently. Right. Um, it's, it's not that, that uh, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for our sin, but he he's taken on sin he has suffered the wrath of god on the cross and unto death and and i i, I think that the language could be clear yeah i think so too and you see there there is a seed of error in the third spiritual law that buds in the fourth so, so because you know what's coming you can see it now in the third is that is that jesus death provides the possibility of salvation and that's there in this word can uh, so read it again uh, and listen yeah. to the, the, how salvation is a possibility because of Jesus' death, but it's not a reality because of Jesus' death. Yeah, it says, uh, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for our sin. Through him can we know and experience God's love and plan for our life. Yeah, so yeah, see... So it's, it's not done objectively, it's it's uh, subjectively, a, it's a possibility. Right, and this so this is how it'll go, is that Jesus opens the door, all you have to do is walk through it. Uh, Jesus provides the elevator. All you have to do is push the button. Jesus gives the invitation. All you have to do is send the RSVP. You see, so that salvation, Jesus' death, it gives us the, sal- the possibility of salvation, uh, but it doesn't accomplish it itself. And that now we'll see in the fourth spiritual law, which is coming. Uh, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and uh, then we know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. Now, what would be interesting is to take these four spiritual laws and and put them into our law and or gospel game and see how they come out. Maybe we should do that next time. But because they they're presented as law, but some of them are sort of gospel. God loves you has a plan for your life. That's gospelish. Uh, sin separates us from God. That's lawish. Uh, Jesus, because of his death, opens a possibility of salvation. That's kind of gospel mixed with law, which is the problem. And then the last one, which is the fount of the error of of this decision theology, uh, is that if you receive Jesus, then you're then you're saved. 
Yeah, very good. Uh, I'd like to, to spend more time on this. However, we are out of time already. Let's talk um, about it in the next segment, and we'll finish it up. Okay, sounds good. So we'll be right back. Uh, more Table Talk Radio right after this. Table Talk Radio, we need to uh, do a little bit of cleanup here with Google It, uh, talking about uh, the four spiritual law of the Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, okay, so we have th- this last spiritual law that says we must receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and uh, then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. Uh, well, Pastor Wolfman, is that if we play that with law and or gospel, would it be law or gospel? Well, it's, this is the very the big problem, is that it... People think it's gospel, but it's law. I mean, how, l- listen to, first of all, how it's worded. We must individually receive Christ. I mean, that's legalistic language. The, the whole problem with this is that it, it turns things on its head. I mean, how Jesus wants to have it for us is that he, he receives us, that he makes a decision for us, that he comes to us and scoops us up and has us. But we, uh, but we switch it around to where it's th- that we're doing something. We're inviting him or asking him or this sort of thing, uh, and it puts all the onus on. Uh, it puts all the all the onus on me, on what I've done and what I'm doing, rather than on Jesus, and the things that He's done and the things that He's doing, uh, which is where we want our trust and our faith to be. Right, and I think this is the acid test when we're faced uh, with sorrow and and despair. Or uh, even when we're faced on a deathbed, uh, uh, what what do we what do we turn to? What are, what are we looking at? And it's possible for someone who who went by the the four spiritual laws of Campus Crusade for Campus Crusade for Christ to then uh, put his or her trust in the time he made the decision, and and essentially what he's standing his all of his faith on is something that he did, not something that Christ did. I think that's the real danger here. That's right. That's right. We have an article, uh, Can You Make a Decision for Christ? I think that's up on our website. And so if anyone is interested, and we'd love to get your feedback there too, we could uh, refer you to that article. The answer, Can You Make a Decision for Christ? The answer is no. The unbeliever certainly can't. The unconverted cannot do it. Uh, they're dead in trespasses and sins. They do not have a free will towards the things of God. So you can't make a decision for him. Uh, but but that Jesus does make a decision for us and has us as his own dear children. That's our comfort and our life our hope, and our salvation. Very good. Well, we should probably move into this next game so we have enough time. Um, and this is uh, Name That Theologian. And uh, Pastor Wilfmer, I think you have uh, uh, all theologians in the history of the Christian church, and I have the theologians um, for the, uh, of, the, of the Reformation time period, right? I'm glad to have that specificity, that it could be anyone from, from St. Paul to Karl Barth. Sheesh. <laughs> well, you had a lot to choose from then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, so you you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Sir. Sure. Yeah, I'll go first. All right. Um, okay, well, uh, what we do is we, we, we say three quotes, and uh, as the game, uh, the name of the game implies, uh, you must then name the theologian. Okay, are you ready? Ready. In actual fact... The covenant of life is not preached equally among all men and among, 
uh, and among those whom it is preached, it does not gain the same acceptance either consistently or in equal degree. Oh, brother. All right, that's it? That, that's the first quote. You better keep going. Okay. Give me two more quotes. All right. The covenant of life? That's what... <laughs> oh. I think it'll be more obvious as we go on. All right, And good. the second quote is this. Let us, I say, permit the Christian man to open his mind and ears to every utterance of God directed to him, provided it be with such restraint that when the Lord closes his lips, he also shall at once close the way of inquiry. That's another one. I don't even know what it's talking about. All right, open your mind to every utterance of God. This last one might give it away, but this will be something interesting to talk about because I think that that second quote almost contradicts his this person's uh, theology, but that'll be interesting to talk about. So let's see if you can get it with this. Oh, last that's one. helpful then. Oh, good. So you got me the quote that says the opposite of what he. Well, it'll be interesting. Right, he did right. say it, and, and uh, I didn't want to make this easy on you. It says, uh, although the voice of the gospel addresses all in general, yet the gift of faith is rare. Therefore, those whom God passes over, He condemns. And this he does for no reason other than he wills to exclude them from the inheritance which he predestines for his own children. All right. Uh, th- whoever this is, it's a Calvinist. Uh, because they have the idea of double predestination. They, they have the idea that the gospel uh, in and of itself is not saving, but that, there's, um, uh, but that the, the gospel goes out to all people, but the work of the Holy Spirit is... Uh, is hidden and individual and in the heart. So you got you you have as much as that. It it has an old English sound to it. So I don't think it's a modern fellow, uh, but I don't think it's Calvin itself because of this language of covenant of life. Uh, I am going to guess Jonathan Edwards. You are incorrect. Oh, all right. Who is it? It actually is John Calvin. Oh, is it? Oh. Man, I thought I had all theologians except for the Reformation, but I, I have Reformation theologians included, huh? I thought you meant you wanted me to pick the Reformation theologians to give you. Oh, good. Okay, I had the opposite oh, understanding. Okay, so we were talking past each all other. Right, good. I'm glad to know that. I'm glad. I'm glad we got it straightened out. Reformation. I have Reformation theologians. Okay. Uh, okay, so uh, th- that's why I, I kind of thought the second one contradicted himself because he says that once God uh, quits talking, we should uh, close. Uh, man should close his inquiry. In, in other words, uh, man shouldn't reason things in which God doesn't uh, say in, in Holy Scripture, which He doesn't reveal to us. But isn't that exactly what John Calvin is doing when he when he uh, seems to reason this double predestination and as if God did not predestine you to go to heaven, then He must have predestined you to go to hell. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, this is the great danger of Calvinism and the double predestination is what it means is, I mean, it, that's bad enough itself. So we should say what that double predestination means is that God predestined some for heaven and others for hell. Now, that's bad enough. But the result of that is that the gospel, which goes out to all people, I mean, you don't go to someone and say, are you elect? Well, if you are, I'm going to preach you the gospel. You can't tell if they're elect or not. So you just have to preach to everybody. But, the, but that God can't really mean it if the person is an elect. So if I go and preach to someone who's not elect, repent and be baptized and have your sins washed away, that that word doesn't mean that they will have their sins washed away because they've already been predestined in the eternal counsel of God to go to hell. Uh, So what Calvin then has to do is divide the gospel from the work of the Holy Spirit in conversion. So, uh, uh, so there you go. That last quote gives it to us. The gospel goes to all people, but only f- a few are saved by the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts.
Uh, and that's the great danger of Calvinism, is we never know if the gospel that's coming to us is true for us. Uh, we have about three minutes left. You better go with your... So am I to assume that then because of your preparation, this is a Reformation theologian as well? This, this is a Reformation theologian. Two, uh, three quotes, quick ones. I have often asserted that the ultimate goal of the devil is to do away with the entire sacrament and all outward ordinances of God. One. Two. This is a little bit longer. I'll read fast, so listen quickly. We treat the forgiveness of sins in two ways. First, how it is achieved in one. Second, how it is distributed and given to us. Christ has achieved it on the cross. It is true. But he has not distributed it or given it on the cross. He is not wanted in the supper or sacrament. There he had distributed and given it through the word, as also in the gospel, where it is preached. He has won it once for all on the cross. But the distribution takes place continually, before and after, from the beginning to the end of the world. For inasmuch as he is determined once to achieve it, it made no difference to him whether he distributed it before or after, through his word, as can easily be proved from scriptures. Okay. Do you need another one, or do you have... I have an idea, but go in with the third one so I can make sure. All right. Let me flip over here. Aha. The Holy Spirit speaks well, clearly, and in an orderly and distinct fashion. Satan mumbles and chews the words in his mouth and makes a hundred into a thousand. It is an effort to ascertain what he means. These are some uh, great quotes because uh, it's... The first two, especially, are talking about uh, the gifts of the sacraments, that they bestow these these gifts of God to us in life and salvation and forgiveness. And uh, especially that that the uh, the sacrament of the altar is not a, a re-sacrificing of, of Christ, but but that the sacrifice came once and, the, and then these gifts are just delivered to us. I don't know exactly—I'm not familiar with these quotes exactly, but I'm going to guess that it's uh, maybe Martin Luther himself. Ding, ding, ding. Exactly right. Okay. Uh, Martin Luther. You, uh, you got it, Evan. Uh, you, I'll give you bonus points if you can identify the writing that all three of those come from. Do you have? Do you, do you know this one? I, I don't. I don't. Against know this. the heavenly prophets. I, I should have that. given you the fourth quote, which says, "I don't care if Doctor Karlstadt has claimed to swallow the Holy Spirit, <laughs> feathers and all. <laughs> we go to the Word, the Word, the Word." Very good. Uh, uh, we have about uh, thirty seconds left. How would you close up the segment with Table Talk Radio? Well, this is uh, maybe to recommend to all those listening to to you, I think you can find this article of Luther's against the heavenly prophets online or borrow it from your pastor. It's fantastic because lo- what Luther gives to us is he says, "Look, tons of people claim to be spiritual, but we have something better. We have the Word of God, and in that Word we have the objective reality of the forgiveness of all of our sins. It's in the Word that we can be sure that God loves us and cares for us, and He cleanses our conscience." Uh, through the gospel delivered through the word. So uh, so this is fantastic to read and to remember that in the word, the word, the word, we have the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. Very good. Hey, uh, one more segment here on Table Talk Radio. We're talking about an article in the Denver Post called My Faith Isn't the Only Way. And we'll be discussing that when we get back right after this uh, commercial break. Uh, right back on Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is listener-supported. Well, in theory it is. We actually haven't had any listeners support us yet, but the concept is a good one. 
If you'd like to be the first, click Donate Now at our website, tabletalkradio.org. Back to the final segment of Table Talk Radio. Uh, interesting, interesting discussion here. Uh, discussing an article in the Denver Post. Uh, it's entitled, um, oh, I just lost it. <laughs> Religious Americans, my faith isn't my the screen. only way. Good thing you've got a co-host <laughs> yes. here, Evan. Whoo, man. I don't know what I'd do without you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because what they did is they, they pulled a bunch of, of people um, Asking them kind of what their what their faith is, and uh, discussing the the large number of those who said that that they ascribe themselves to this faith, but it isn't that their religion is the only way to eternal life. They think that I've picked this one, but there's there's many ways to go to heaven. Yeah, the, the article says, and I'll just read a couple of excerpts. Is that all right? Americans remain a nation of believers, but a new r- survey finds most Americans don't feel their religion is the only way to eternal life even if their faith tradition teaches otherwise. Quote, There's a growing pluralistic impulse towards tolerance, and, that's having a theo- and that is having theological consequences, says this guy, some fella from some university. A report argues that while relatively few people, 14%, cite religious beliefs as the main influence on their political thinking, religion still plays a powerful and indirect role. But here, now here's some hard statistics. By many measures, Americans are strongly religious. 92% believe in God, 74% believe in life after death, and 63% say their respective scriptures are the word of God. But deeper investigation found that more than one in four Roman Catholics, mainline Protestants, and Orthodox Christians expressed some doubts about God's existence, uh, as did six in ten Jews. And then, But now here, I think this is the greatest paragraph of the whole thing. Another finding almost defies explanation. 21% of self-identified atheists said they believe in God (laughs) or a universal spirit, (laughs) with 8% absolutely certain of it. Explain that to me. 21% of atheists Uh, believe in God. Hey, what do you think the Interfaith Alliance is? It quote this guy... Interfaith Alliance. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what this means. I mean, we talked about, I don't know, remember a couple shows ago about this coexist bumper sticker to where the main thing is just that we all get along. And hey, Evan, I was having a conversation with a fellow last week, and uh, we were talking about church and this sort of thing. And and he said, look, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. What does that mean? I asked. Uh, And his answer was, religion kills people. Um this is really now what people th- what people see as if you're dogmatic about something, if you're sure of something, that this is a prideful power grab where you're trying to manipulate people and all of this sort of thing, and that if people don't fall in line with you, that you manipulate them all the way to death to make sure that your own confession remains true. And th- I think this is the perception that people have of the church and of religion in general. Well, well what was your response to that? How do you how do you how do you uh, talk to someone about that? I've been thinking about it. Um, really since then you know there is and this is a little bit of a side topic but you know there's a bunch of these new books by these new so-called new atheists um richard richard dawkins the god delusion and all of this kind of stuff and really what uh um what they're taking advantage of is is 9-11 the the muslim terrorist attacks i i looked up religion kills on the internet and one of the first things to come up was a poster of the airplanes flying into the towers with a little subtitle that says religion kills 
And what these guys have done is says it's not radical Islam that that coerces people to be terrorists. It's religion in general. Just the existence of faith, because it denies reason, is a deadly sort of thing. And so the new athe- the old atheists sort of come along and said religion is wrong and Christianity is wrong. The new atheists come along and say religion is dangerous and Christianity is dangerous. Now that's a different. There's a big difference between being wrong and being dangerous. I mean, when someone's wrong, you just ignore them. When someone's dangerous, you lock them up. And so this is now the new assault on, on Christianity. And I think you see some of that in this discussion where people say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Uh, they think that there's a danger in the church, in organized religion, and this sort of thing. I think it's uh, a lot easier to look at uh, uh, you know, the terrorists of 9-11 and, and to point to their faith. It's, it's Religion is dangerous. Would they then look at Christianity and maybe look at the Crusades or, or maybe some of the uh, Old Testament scriptures and say, look, Christianity is dangerous as well? Is that kind of the assault they would make on Christianity? Yeah, and, just, and they would say that because you have faith, you're willing to do anything. So you're not because you you because you have faith you're not bound by by common sense or something like this. But look, Christianity is totally different than any other religion. One of the bad things that we do is we we call these terrorists who fly themselves into the into the uh, into the towers or the terrorists who go and strap bombs to themselves. We call them martyrs. And that's wrong. They are not martyrs. They're murderers. They're they're murdering the people around them and they're murdering themselves to be martyred is to stand up and witness to the truth of Christ and to be killed for it. It's not to kill, but to be killed. It's not to shed blood, but to have your blood shed. And this is precisely what Christianity does. In fact, Christianity gives us God in the shedding of Jesus' blood. Far from being violent and acting out and bringing the sword against those who do not believe in it, Christianity has the sword brought against it. It has the nails and the hammer and the cross brought to it. I mean, that's where we find our salvation and our hope and our life and our forgiveness in the shed and blood and suffering and death of Jesus. So it's the exact opposite religion. It has nothing to do with, with giving death, but everything to do with getting death, Jesus' death in our place. Uh, so we have to look at the content of the religion before we say it's dangerous. I mean, that first of all, we have to get that right. Well, it's danger might, might be one thing, but uh, its its uh, provision to eternal life is another. And uh, the question then, if if uh, I choose a religion, uh, I might you know, which which is kind of a silly concept anyway. As if we as if we choose a religion, as as if we choose a political party or or a brand new car. Well, I I chose to buy a Ford this time. Um, but in, instead, uh, that that we choose this religion, and then you know it, it's a it's a great car, but uh, your your Dodge truck works just as well as my my Ford does. Yeah, that's right. In fact, what we see, what we're starting to see in this survey, and this paper brings it out, is that people uh, believe and confess totally different things than their church does. So to say, I had this conversation one time. You know, Presbyterians are are Calvinists. Uh, and so they had this idea of the limited atonement, that Christ didn't die for everyone, but only for the elect. And so I was talking to a Presbyterian, and I said, Hey, uh, you believe that uh, uh, that Jesus only died for a few, not for everyone. And uh, uh, and they said, No, I don't believe that. And I said, Sure, that's what Presbyterians believe. And And this person said, Well, no, it's not what Presbyterians believe, because I'm a Presbyterian. And I don't believe that. <laughs> it's, see, it's going the other way. I mean, I'll decide what I want to believe and what I don't want to believe. 
I'll decide what's true for me and what's not. And then if I happen to call myself a Christian or a Buddhist or some sort of New Age wacko or whatever, a Wiccan, oh, I found another uh, newspaper report today that said the pagans are getting, uh, uh, the pagan church is getting bigger. I call myself a pagan, but it doesn't mean that I'm bound to what these churches teach and believe and confess. I can believe whatever I want to believe. I have a theory about that in the uh, the Christian realm, at least, uh, and that is, uh, you know, our, the the Christian church as a whole has been kind of taken for a large part by this uh, church growth movement, and um, what 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 this uh, church growth movement has has really done is uh, has really hidden doctrine or any kind of uh, uh, statement of beliefs about anything and hidden them because it's not seeker sensitive. We want to be very inviting in church and uh, you know, bring, bring people in at whatever cost possible. And so we've gone, gone over this period of time of hiding what a, what a church believes that no one knows what anyone believes. Yeah, we're seeing, and this is, I mean, this false doctrine goes way, way back, but it comes especially uh, in this in, in pietism, which is the belief that moral progress is more important than doctrinal purity and 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 what one of the pietistic lines is is that uh, doctrine divides love unites so that it, so that doctrine is divisive it 's dangerous, it causes war and strife and all of this sort of stuff, whereas if we just love one another, then we have um, uh, then we can all just get along and, and, and enjoy each other's company and all of this sort of thing. But this brings us back to the very beginning where we had the law-gospel question. Which is law and which is gospel? Love, that's law. Uh, it, all the law summarized in this one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself is how Jesus answers the question, what's the greatest commandment? It's love. The doctrine, on the other hand, comes in the confession of faith of Jesus, uh, of his two natures, of his death on the cross, of his resurrection from the grave, of his ascension to God the Father. The doctrine is what gives us life, uh, because doctrine delivers the promise of the forgiveness of sins. But the devil turns things on its head so that people don't care about doctrine, don't care about the teaching. They rather uh, just care about works and love and this sort of thing, and, and think that somehow they have their salvation in there. But our salvation is never found in our love for each other. It's always found in God's love for us. There's a plethora of clips that we could have used for the segment of popular Christian teachers who have been on uh, TV programs, and they've been asked, uh, is your religion the only way uh, to heaven? Uh, Christianity, is Christ the only way to heaven? And many, many of them, not all, but many of them have, have failed to answer that correctly. So, Pastor Wolfmiller, in the last uh, 15 seconds here, how would you answer that question? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Well, that's his own words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So the answer is yes, Jesus is the only way. Thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. Join us again next time, and join us on the the website, tabletalkradio.org. Send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org, or call us on our toll-free number, 866-851-5523, and we'd love to address your question on the air. Uh, Just leave a message for us, and we'll get to it as soon as possible. Uh, See you again next time here on Table Talk Radio. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts, and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to questions at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. 
Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.